So it was about two o'clock in the morning and I text him and he immediately texts me back and is like, can you come tonight and get it? And I was like, um, this sounds, this sounds extremely shady. And is there any way I can Venmo you first before we meet? (laughs) Detroit? Yes. Three o'clock in the morning? Yes. You need money? But I would money? feel more comfortable if you already had the money. Yeah. <laughs> that way we don't have to exchange money when we meet. Is yes. that possible? Would you be able to accept that? <laughs> it's funny. When I bought that, what's that? There's a guy I was telling about this, and he's like, yeah, I've bought and stolen stuff too. I was like, I didn't even think of that. Well, who knows where things come from that can't possibly be... Um, I mean, there's no way to know that, I wouldn't think. If somebody's got something nice and they're selling it, I don't even, I never even thought about where they might have got it. Yeah. But they're not, it's not like I'm buying something that's $1,000 and they're, I'm buying it for, you know, $45 or something. It's like, you know, they, <clears throat> we're so used to it. Um, things are more competitively priced. When I went for the big monitor, you know, that giant yeah. 40 nine inch nine inch monitor that I have you yeah i um i was looking at deals on that too because everything with uh amazon or best buy was going to be i don't know like a week week and a half out maybe even longer i don't remember but it was it was a period of time because everything was pretty much out of stock that's something else that people are apparently buying up as soon as they can and there was one for sale on craigslist and so I said, look, I'll give it to you. I'll give you, you know, $100 less easy. I'll just send you the money. And we'll like, we'll just do the, we'll do, do the deal right now. I'm an easy buyer. I'm not going to mess you around this. We'll just pick a time. And uh, yeah, they responded and they, they said, yeah, okay. Um, I said, great. When, what is your address? And they said, well, send us the uh, money and we'll send you the address. <laughs> like. Well, okay, if that's the way you do it, I don't know. I'm like, so I haven't seen the product in real life. I have no idea if it, the screen is smashed or if it even exists. I don't know where you live or who you are because you're on Craigslist, so your email's hidden even. Like, I know nothing about you. And you're like, send me the thing. So I sent him, I said, look, you got you to gotta up your game because that's not even a very good scam. I mean, nobody's going to do like, you have to at least have some kind of angle of plausible, of, of believability. And with those people, I actually think it might've just been some people who didn't know what the heck they were doing and were nervous to sell on Craigslist Yeah, because I actually lowballed them a couple hundred dollars first and they didn't even respond. <laughs> and then I responded, um, to another with another email from another email just to see if they were even reading the Craigslist automatic thing. Okay. And they responded and they, I said, is it still available? That's all I said. Instead of saying, this is what I want. I'll make it easy, whatever. I just said, is it still available from a different address? And they said, yes, but the price is firm $800 or $850 or whatever it was. And I was like, Okay, so they didn't respond to my first one where I was trying to lowball them. They didn't even try and negotiate. And if you're doing a scam, 
what do you care? You know, sure, <laughs> no, I'll give it to you, you for 500. You got to have standards. If you're going to yeah. be running a scam, you can't be taking less than, you know, full right. price for your scam. Yeah. But as far as they know, I was a totally different person. Yeah. Well, so one was from a work email and one was a personal email. So yeah. then um, when I said, okay, I'll buy it. That's when they said, all right, send the Venmo first and then I'll tell you the address. <laughs> and then when I was like, you gotta like, that's not even a clever scam. No one's going to do that. And they said, well, you don't understand how it's done. <laughs> and I never heard from him again. Huh. There was no, you would think if it was a scam, which it sounds like you would think there would be some kind of a discussion or, Hey, yeah, I need it. Why don't you Venmo me? You know, I'll meet you at this point. Like there was no conversation at all. He had zero salesmanship, nothing, but they did say Venmo before I give you my address. Now I've never used Venmo. In fact, the only reason it ended up on my phone is Sarah downloaded it. And so it like magically shows up on my phone. But do you have the ability to take back the money if there's some sort of goofy thing that went down? Um, here's the thing. There's probably avenues I haven't explored. So I can't say 100% definitively, but 99% sure you cannot. Okay. So if I send you the money and you accept it, the only thing you could do is you could call up Venmo and say, that guy, Dave, is a scam. Okay. And then Venmo could probably work to undo what you sent. I right? see. Yep. They might contact me and say, what happened? You know, and they'll, they'll try and figure out if I'm legitimate. I see. Um, okay. But yeah, if you send it to me, you know, the thing is Venmo is not, you know, it's connected to a bank. Yep. So if you send it to me, there's a delay. So if I'm a scam, you can call Venmo and say, look, that guy's a scam. I didn't get my thing. They can, they can stop it before it gets into, before it goes from them to a bank. Yeah. But, um, they're not going to just do it as a, it was a mistake. It's like, we'll just ask for it back. Cause I can, I can send you money without you. You would, you would accept it on the other end. If I sent it. I can also request money from you, meaning, hey, pay me, you know, 30 bucks for lunch. And then you go in and you can say, yes, I will pay it. And so there's confirmation on both sides either way. Okay. And if you follow through with that, it's kind of like you, you snooze, you lose. You can't just go undo that payment. All you can do is request another one to, for them to send it back. So Did really you ask easy. them if they had uh, any pickup trucks available? <laughs> no. <laughs> Why? Why did we get scammed with a pickup truck? Oh, my brother did. <laughs> Is that what you're talking about? My yeah. brothers? Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of that going around. People trying to scam me. That one was particularly skilled though. That scam. Yeah. Because Josh actually looked at the registration of the truck. Yeah. And it had all, everything right. And, but it was fake, but it looked right. And then he looked at the guy's driver's license, which was fake, but it looked right. And the driver's license matched the registration. It seems so, that he did his due diligence there. He did his due diligence. Although for my brother, like I didn't feel good about it 
at any point. Okay. And um, I didn't I didn't know it was a scam, but it was like, mm, I don't like anytime you're buying something and it's super cheap. And the reason is because, well, I just got through a divorce and I don't want my wife to get the truck. And so he wants to do a cash deal under the table to keep it off the books from his wife. And it's like, well, Josh, why are you getting involved in that? It's like, look, his wife is owed half the truck and he knows it. So even if it was above board, it was also kind of shady, right? Because, you know, Josh, even if Josh got the truck scot-free and got a way cheaper deal. Yeah. Well, that cheap deal came out of the guy's wife's pocket. And, and yeah, yep. It came out of his wife's pocket and he, uh, I mean, theoretically, theoretically he got, he lost 50, she only lost 50%, but he was planning on, because it was a cash deal, he was going to not give her the 50%. Um, is that, is that how, okay. So the theory is that he owns a truck that's worth 30 grand. Yeah. And then he sells it for 19 and he's going to keep the 19 grand in his pocket. Yeah. And his wife doesn't get anything, which is, which is stupid because it's like, Josh, you're ripping her off four grand in the scheme of what's legal. Now, in some ways, I don't want to get into it because I don't have specifics. I've never been in the situation, but some of the laws for separating things is not really great. Yeah. It's messy. I mean, if you're married, if you're married and you got three kids and then she's out there going out and having a fun time and then meet some guy in Vegas and she's going to just run off with him. And it's like, here, you keep the kids. I'm going out to have a good time. And by the way, split everything you have and give it to me. It's like, well, that's, you know, there's certain, you get an, you don't know the situation. So yeah, but legally she's, she's due 50%. And the guy's story was he was trying to, get this deal done under the table before the divorce so that he didn't have to pay the wife the money. Yeah. And so yeah. it's like, okay, well they, they both paid 30 or he did, you know, so who knows, whatever. Yeah. I could imagine myself falling for the same, same situation. Not me. I'm always on the side of women. Uh, yeah, I would have, you know, you have, it's kind of like, hey, that's your deal. If you want to sell me a, ch- a truck for cheap and I've got the cash for it, let's do this. Um, you know, somebody's going to get it. It might as well be me. Uh, yeah. Like, that's but, what I would be thinking. I'd be like, man, this is a great deal. You know, like, I'm going to I'm gonna get this, you know, right. But what, I, what ended up happening? Well, I mean, it ended up being a lie. But this was my this was my point so much. Not even, I shouldn't have even gotten into the story. But the point is, if I have a if I have something that if I had this nice new microphone that everybody wants, and it's worth four hundred dollars. Yeah. If I put it for sale for two hundred dollars, then I don't need a story to convince you on <laughs> why I'm selling it for less than it is. Right. It's like. Yeah. Either take it or leave it, dude. If you don't, if you want it, I'm selling it for two hundred bucks. Somebody's gonna snap it up like that. And if somebody wants to know, hey, I don't know about that. That seems too low. I think it might be broken or something like that. It's like, bye. I've got to line out the door that'll buy it. Yeah. So if you got a truck that's 19000 it's a $30,000 one-year-old truck. 
It's like, you don't need, I don't, the fact that you're telling the story makes me think you're selling something. Hmm. And if you're giving a deal that's that good, you could be the one interviewing who should get this great deal instead of trying to convince somebody to take the great deal. Yeah. It's interesting though. Um, in a psychology. Yeah, it was on a state. That was, that was an extra added complexity to the situation. But in a psychology class I took, they say that if you ask someone to do something, there's a certain threshold of whether or not they'll agree to do it or not. But then if you ask someone to do something and then use the word because, and then anything could be anything. It could be, hi, could I cut in front of you in the copier machine? Um, because I have something waiting in the microwave. I mean, it could be anything. It doesn't even matter. But if you use the word because and then give some reason, immediately it increases the likelihood that people are going to let you do it. Interesting. I wonder if that would work for me because I typically try and solve people's problems. Uh And as soon as someone gives me a because and it's something stupid, then I immediately think, why are you doing it that way then? Like I think to myself, you're completely ridiculous. That's that doesn't make sense. So you're you'd be like persons, yeah, yeah. When a homeless person's out of gas and he's standing in front of a grocery store, I'm I immediately think, why aren't you at a gas station? Yes, because I don't have gas. No one here has gas. You don't even have a gas can. They want money, and so you need money for gas. Now that that psychologist would probably also tell you it's better to beg at a grocery store for gas because nobody can solve that problem. So they just give you money. Whereas if you're at a gas station, they will give you gas and you don't want gas. And so, yeah, but that just makes me, that just puts me off the hook. Cause I'm like, dude, uh, use your head. If you want gas, go to a gas station, ask people buying gas. Don't ask me at a grocery store for you to have gas. I can't help you. Huh? So what you're saying and, is you would you would you would try to problem solve their situation. So if I say, "Hey, I can I skip in front of you in front of the copier machine?" because uh, you know I've got to get to my class, you'd be like, "Here, give me your stuff and go to class, and I'll I'll take care of it for you." I might offer that, um, but if it what you just explained is a legitimate excuse, what you just explained is a legitimate reason. Yeah. Okay. So you're right. If somebody says, Hey, I'm in a real rush. Can I do my copies before you? Then I'm not going to be like, well, why is your schedule so tight? No. (laughs) Get out your calendar. I'm a nice guy. You can go in front of me. I don't care. It's not, it's not that big of a deal, but the, the, um, if you tell me a reason you said, if you say, because, and then insert anything, like if you say, you know, Hey, can I, uh, cut in front of you? Because, you know, I got something I want to, you know, I mean, I've got uh, another batch of copies I got to do later or something that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I would just say that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. You're because puts me at, it puts me to work. Huh. Whereas if you just ask me, can I go in front of you? I'm probably going to say yes. 
Because I'm not going to just be able, I would have a hard time just telling someone flat no and being selfish. Then if you give me a stupid reason, you give me a reason why I can say no. Okay. Like you've just put forward my, this is the battleground. (laughs) These are my cards and you've just put them face up. I can decide to either fold or I can decide I've got a stronger hand than you because your reason is stupid. Interesting. See, you took this the opposite way of what I think most people do. So, and maybe even even the opposite of me, because I can't test myself. But here's the deal: when I hear that, I think to myself, "Okay, this is a new strategy that I can use. Right? I can I can now ask someone something that I probably wouldn't normally ask, and then use the because." And then fill in a blank. And I'm going to try to come up with something legitimate. But uh, but they say... Baby, can you go clean your room uh, right now? Because I've got to get to bed early tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Dad. He was like, sure. <laughs> I think it's the least I could do. you got to get to bed early, so I may as well clean my room. Yeah. And I don't want you to have to put up with my noise of, you know, picking up yeah, my clothes. <laughs> I'm a loud cleaner. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That's why I, it's one of those things where you you never know what you would actually do until you're in the test. And sometimes if, if you wouldn't even think about it, somebody's asking me a favor. It's like, sure. Have you ever done a psychological test? Probably, but I don't know what I scored. I think genius. <laughs> no, they like bring you in and they'll even pay you a lot of times. And you have no, you have no idea what's going on. Right. So Mm -hmm. like, like I had a friend, he was like, Hey, you want to go take this psychological test with me? And I'm like, sure. Why not? So we, we go up to like this science room and, uh, and you have no idea what they're testing at all. Right. Like there's no idea what's going to happen. And they, they just like do weird things. Like one time there was just loud music playing and it's like, and then you're like filling out a questionnaire, but there's like really loud music playing. And you know that the loud music has something to do with why you're putting up with all this, but you have no idea. So like you're, you suspect there's something goofy going on, but, uh, but you're just sitting there going, ah, I don't know. I like I feel like I'm too uh smart in that okay there's some loud obnoxious music here and there's no off button and I know it's part of a test it's uh-huh. like okay I'll be I'll be the psychopath that just breaks the machine cuz it's like okay <laughs> there you go or you're trying to see who's going to it comes from the ceiling or something like that and there's yeah. nothing I can do it's like okay they want to see who's going to crack and and give up the money first yep I'm first. I'm like, I, I know your game is something, so I'm not going to play. Yeah. And, and it I'll wasn't, be the, I'll be the crazy one. It wasn't the like to the level it. where it's like really bugging you, but it's just like, it's on, it's not a normal music that you would have having someone fill out a questionnaire. Um, and you're just sitting there thinking, I know that's the variable they're testing. And I don't yeah. know how to act to either, confirm whatever they're trying to figure out or to totally screw it up. Like you're just sitting there thinking this is strange and I don't get it. 
I love those tests. Like they're, they're crazy. And I like reading about them. Some of the craziest things they've studied, like, uh, they did a study where they took these, uh, these referees for wrestling. I don't know what, are they called referees? Do you know? I call them that people, grown men who are right there scoring wrestling matches. I don't know what they're called. We'll call them refs. Yeah, they're called refs. <laughs> they have like high level refs that like ref Olympic wrestling matches, right? Mm-hmm. And so what they did was they took video of wrestling matches and they they played them, right? And the ref would sit there watching the TV and would score them. And what they did was, I guess in the Olympics, you don't wear your country's colors. You only wear red or blue. And it doesn't matter if you're Russia or America. In some matches, you'll be wearing red. In some matches, you'll be wearing blue. So they have this wrestling match. And the refs, on average, would give more points to the person wearing red. And what's amazing is they would actually play video, not back to back, but they would, they would kind of put random videos in and they would play of the same video, but they changed the color of the outfits. So now the blue player is wearing red, the blue wrestler is playing, is wearing red and the red wrestler is wearing blue and it's nuts. They will actually, there's times where the red wrestler wins both times, even though they're, you know, it's the same match in different wrestlers. So. Huh. Well, um, that sucks for everybody who lost the Olympics or got the silver because they were wearing blue. Yeah. Um, as far as the test though, I know community did that where they did a psychological test where they had everybody get in a waiting room uh-huh. and all they did was they kept on saying, all right, it'll just be a few more minutes, you know, official girl with the pad go and then leave out. And some of them are like, all right, forget it. I'm done waiting. And then they would leave. And then they kept on whittling it down until it was just Abed. And they the goal of the people doing the study was what's the maximum. So they had to wait out everybody. And then all of the testers, there was like a room full of testers. All of them went crazy. All of them were <laughs> slamming their stuff down. And, and so the girl would go in and it was like two days later and she's walking in like, we're almost ready. Just a few more minutes. <laughs> and Abed's like, no, it's fine. <laughs> His character is great. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. So now I've never taken a psychological test. I would, I would not be a good candidate for that because I would be overthinking it and I would intentionally be disruptive. Yeah. And then they would think, all right, he's a psycho or they wouldn't get an accurate reading of me because I would try and do something out of the box just to be unique. Yeah. That's interesting. That's my Enneagram type. You like uniqueness. (laughs) (laughs) Anything, anything different is good, apparently. So, uh, you sent me this thing on uh, Mark, and you asked me to read it. 
Mark 21, 8 through 7. Mark 8, 11 through 21. 21. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm like, wow, he really screwed that up. That wasn't, <laughs> no. wasn't even well, close. I, he was using like numbers that, and stuff or letters. Yeah, I said that because uh, when, when you told me it on the phone earlier, I kept repeating it back to you wrong. <laughs> so I thought, well, I should probably do that again. But I thought it was interesting. I am, I'm not, I'm interested in what you have to say about it. So I'll pull it up real quick here. Mark eight. And this was after he fed the 4,000. And as you reminded me, he fed the 4,000 and he fed the 5,000. Those were two totally separate miracles, two different crowds. Um, And so this says the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them. That was in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. So the disciples discussed this with one another and said, it's because we don't have any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? And then it just sort of switches on to the next story where they came to a new town. Yeah, that was that was the end of where we were going. Do you yeah. do you not yet understand? Yeah, so it's like um, bread is not a difficult thing for us to come by. <laughs> You're all worried about how much bread. I mean, you've seen me make a lot of bread out of basically nothing. And you've got one, but I mean, there's only 12 of you. I made seven and feed 4,000 people and there was leftovers. Yeah. So, so what, um, what, what of that, what did you, what did that, why did you bring that up and what was your take from it? Well, the reason I brought it up is this morning, my brother did a sermon on this, right? My brother is not a, you know, a pastor, but he, uh, he he has gone to seminary and he he does periodically do sermons for various churches and this is the section he was on today and i suspect that the church is just going through mark and so that's where he ended up and he you don't think andy would have chosen it i don't think so and if you were going to cho- choose it wouldn't you pick the previous chapter where he actually feeds the 4000 i would have picked something easier for sure <laughs> so, but, it, <laughs> but, it, but it's funny because he did a good job. Like I read this and it's like, yeah, I don't see much there. Like, like obviously the, you know, the disciples are screwing up again. They're doing, they're, you know, they're not having faith and it's just, they just don't have it right now. Um, 
And so Jesus is like, why can't you get with it? Don't you understand? The question that immediately, immediately came to mind after they read it was, what exactly was it that he wanted them to understand? So that was my first question. And uh, and then there was a lot here that I would not have read into it initially. Um, For example, there was a part where he's like, um, having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? This was a low blow, right? Yeah, he said that a lot. Yeah, but I suspect that this was a low blow because it's like yesterday when I healed the blind guy who couldn't see and now he's, he's able to see and he's, you know, he's, he's, uh, changed everything about him and you guys have eyes and I don't need to, uh, I don't need to do anything for you, but you're not even getting with the, you know, the program yet right like it's just kind of funny and then he's like yeah you have ears and you're actually hearing what's happening you have eyes you're seeing what's happening and uh it, it was i think it's kind of a low blow i think it's kind of funny yeah when jesus talks he talks very seemingly condescending a lot um and i've noticed that as i've been reading in the last couple of months focusing on more of the things that he says he's he is not afraid to take just about anyone to task every chance he gets and i i think it's funny that the perception of him is so meek and mild and sweet and nice and generous it's like everybody can think about the well cast the first stone if if you're if you're perfect then you go ahead and cast the first stone yeah and then of course no one does it. And then he's like, see, I don't judge you either. So everyone's like, oh, that's really nice. Everybody knows that. But whenever he's with his friends, he's like, yeah, you, uh, you know, get behind me, Satan. Or, you know, you, how is it you have got, got eyes, but you can't hear. Or he talks to the Pharisees, like you brood of vipers. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, he's harsh. Yeah, and it's not just, you know, it's not people say, oh, that's to the Pharisees. He was harsh. Yeah, he was harsh to the Pharisees, too. He was also harsh to his best friends. He was. He was a very um, direct speaker. Yeah. And, you know, the people who come up to him and they're like, uh, oh, I would follow you anywhere. And Jesus is like, why? Thinking um, you're going to get something because. Foxes have holes in the ground and birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. So it's like, my interpretation is that it's like, I'll follow you anywhere. It's like, yeah, right. Cause you think you're going to get something out of it. Trust me. You're not going to get anything. I don't have anything. And I'm the one leading this thing. And then we never hear from that guy again. Yeah. And it's interesting. And it's like, you said condescending to say huh? when you said condescending, I was like, Ooh, that's, that's, that's horrible. Like I wouldn't describe Jesus as condescending, but then you give it a thought and it's like of all the people in the entire world or universe and mm-hmm. all of existence, he's the one person that actually can be condescending. Uh, sure. 
It's like, oh, yeah, I don't think he ever spoke out of turn. I'm just saying when I hear him speak, I think to myself, hmm, I wonder how I would have responded to that because I think it would have poked my pride. Yeah. You know, if I say, if I stick my neck out and I get the impression that he wants people to follow him and I stick my neck out and say, I'll follow you. And then I think there's going to be some sort of a reward or some sort of a pat on the back. And then his response is, well, I've got nothing. So just so you know, <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. So you cut out, I guess, my motives possibly. But another guy says, hey, well, first let me, I will follow you, but then just let me bury my father. And then Jesus says, yeah, let the dead bury their own dead. It's like, you're talking about my dad. You know, it's like, he's not dead yet. And um, I've heard people in do, do messages where they're saying, well, what he was saying is basically go home and live out the rest of his life until his dad died. And then, so he was like prolonging it. And I always thought, okay, well, that seems reasonable. That's not a genuine commitment because a lot can happen between now and when your dad dies, right? So I get that that was a lot to say, hey, I'll follow you, but first let me go live out the rest of my dad's life, if that's what he meant. But that's really kind of a lame, um, I think, explanation because the very next verse, somebody else says, um, hey, Jesus, I'll follow you. But first, let me just go say goodbye to my father. Like, I don't, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let him, I'm not gonna go bury him. Just let me go say goodbye. And um, that was when he said something like, anybody who uh, puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of the kingdom of heaven. So yeah. it's sort of like, if you're gonna take on the mantle, of if you're going to do this, you better do it. Because if you decide to get on the horse, I'm going to jump into giving my life to God fully, but then I'm going to look back at my old way, my old life. And I'm just going to long for that. It's like, you're not worthy. Yeah. So Jesus is like, don't even start. I mean, that's how I interpret it because those three people, we never hear from them again. Yeah. But it is interesting, Matthew, who was a tax tax collector, you know, I assume he's sitting at a desk in the middle of the city, he's collecting bags and bags of money or something. Jesus shows up to him. Mac. He's probably a Mac person. Yeah, he definitely has a Mac. Uh, that's assumed. Um, <laughs> but he he's sitting there and Jesus comes up to him and he's like, hey, let's do this. And Matthew was like, I hated this job anyhow. And he just like walked away. Right. And actually yeah, no one likes me. Yeah. Nobody likes me, <laughs> but he has a pretty good gig, right? Like that is a position that the Roman government gave to him and he's going to be, you know, hated by the people around him, but he's, he's got a pretty good gig, but I mean, he just up and disappeared, right? Like he just, just walked away and went with Jesus. So in his case, he did do that. And then I don't remember which were the fishermen. I think Peter was the fisherman. Peter and his brother. Yep. Peter yeah. And his brother. What was the brother's name? I don't remember. So. Um, probably Zach. Yeah. I think. 
yeah. So Peter and Zach, uh, I'm pretty sure Zach is is right on. Um, but anyhow, the like English translation, they were fishermen, which to me sounds like not a great job. But it's my understanding that they would have been kind of wealthy people, right? And they would have in the future planned on having a really good business, you know, fishing. Um, and Jesus came to them and they were, he was like, Hey, let's go. And they just walked away, right? Like they really didn't look back. So it is interesting that, you know, some of the disciples where we have the story of how they, they came under the fold, uh, it's just totally like they just went after it. So it is interesting. Abandoned. Yeah. They're all in right from minute one. And he's just uh, like, he really didn't have a house. It's like, what did they see in him that they decided, hey, this is what we're doing? Where did they actually sleep? So the boat. (laughs) (laughs) It's my understanding that Jesus did live with like Mary and Lazarus for a time, right? Like he was kind of bumming a room from people once he left his parents' house. Um, so he, he was like, yeah, your old roommate, but, um, how do you have 12 disciples if you, I mean, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, you can't, you can't all 13 of you said (laughs) we're coming in. You got to get some couches. (laughs) I will say, I don't know what happened, but your camera became all fuzzy. Did you notice that on my end? It looks nice and clean, but it's possible that the, uh, the connection is goofy. Interesting. Well, I should probably hardwire mine in. I have it on Wi-Fi, so that would give me more upload speed. It looks better now. Mine did? Now. Oh, okay. Yeah, a little bit. Gotcha. But um, yeah, so that's that's interesting. Well, the, Andy did a good job. What was Andy's point? What did Andy get from that? You know, it's funny. It, well, I mean, generic. anytime you get into... Um, you get into bread. Anytime the the Bible's talking about bread, it seems like the answer is you need to trust God, right? When you, when manna was falling from the sky, you need to trust God that he's going to bring the manna back the next day, right? So don't take more than you need for that day. Um, and then, you know, the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread. It seems like there's a theme with bread that uh, that we should be trusting in God for our provide for us. Um, so I think here, this is also God's providing the fish and loaves. Um, and you also have, uh, the situation where they're sitting there with one loaf of bread. For me, that sounds like a lot of bread, but, uh, but I guess it's smaller bread. It's probably not sliced either, but, um, yeah, that was before sliced bread. (laughs) I wonder what the best thing was back then. I my fa- one of my favorite Family Guy clips is when the guy when Family when uh, the the dad Peter says, "This is the greatest thing since sliced bread," <laughs> and it cuts back to like the 1500s as the before <laughs> sliced bread. And this guy pulls a stool up to a bar and he says, "Well, I'd like a sandwich." I don't know if I could eat two whole loaves of bread. (laughs) (laughs) 
because it's the only oh, other anyway. possible option. But um, yeah, so I think that when you get into uh, like the question is, what did he mean when he said, don't you understand? Right. He explained, listen, I just fed 4,000 people yesterday or really, really recently. I just fed 4,000 people with just a couple fish and loaves. And we had an abundance left, right? We had baskets and baskets and baskets remaining of fish and loaves. And I did that with just a little bit. And before that, I fed 5,000 and we had 12 baskets of fish and fish and loaves remaining. And it's like, seriously, we're riding across, you know, this lake and we have one loaf and you guys are freaking out. It's like, well, it's on. funny. Cause it's like, it's like they thought Jesus was going to be mad about it. <laughs> They're like, Oh man, he knows we only have one loaf of bread. And it's like, so when he says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, it's like, he's mentioning it. He knows <laughs> yeah. that's a subtle hint. He, he he's he's telling us with his little teaching ways we forgot to bring more bread. Yeah, one and, thing that Andy brought up is when he mentioned that he was saying that the Pharisees are self-reliant, right? They're self-reliant and they're like self-involved. They think they're so good that they don't need Jesus, right? And so yeah. so when he's talking about they're the unleavened, you know, it's He's he's it's it's a hit against the Pharisees because they don't trust God. And so when they bring. So, yeah, you're right. Like Jesus really did bring that up. I I mean, it's funny because it says. Uh, now, they had forgotten to bring bread and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware there's uh the yeast of the Pharisees. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing. All right. So it must have been a different version, but it said he noticed that they were doing that. So he said this, right? Like it was in response to them realizing, oh, no, we don't have any bread. But <laughs> um, he did a good, Jesus did a good job of making doing these fantastic miracles but making the disciples feel like this was a once in a lifetime event because you're right if if i saw you you feel like you could take a step back and say all right we had five loaves and two fish and we fed five thousand people with just that and then when we only had seven breads we fed 4,000 people. The fact that we have any bread at all, it would seem like, hey, can you just multiply this 12 times? I mean, we're all, we're all ready for dinner. Yeah, I wouldn't be worrying, <laughs> right? Like you wouldn't be sitting there going, oh man, we're going to starve to death. We only have one it's loaf like, of bread. Like, boy, sure I'm hungry. <laughs> hey, 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 Jesus. I don't, yeah. Have, have you I noticed mean, how much bread we have? We almost have too much, huh? <laughs> we got a whole loaf just for the 12 of us. <laughs> One and, loaf, that's good for almost a thousand people in your in your way. And I don't know if you've checked the so, watch, but it, it is dinner time. Yeah, that's sun. Or the sun's we, been uh, 
past uh did I hear a bell? Is that dinner bell? <laughs> I think I heard a I think I heard a bell. <laughs> hey Peter, I think we're learning about fasting tonight. <laughs> we must be because Jesus hasn't given us any any more bread. We only have the one. <laughs> right, Jesus? Right. <laughs> Nobody nobody's trying to buddy up to him and be like, hey, here's the deal. But it was like they all collectively forgot. I wonder if Jesus said, you know, I bet if we, I wonder if we look back, if we get the real story, Jesus said, all right. And then before we leave, make sure we got like plenty of bread. <laughs> <laughs> and then they you all know, all like, those ah, baskets that we had back I'm, there, bring some I'm of that so, with us. Yeah. And meanwhile, they just got, they just ate their stomachs full from the last group meeting. It's like, oh man, I don't care about bread. I'm not, it's the last thing I'm thinking. I've had so much bread. And then once they get out to the water, they're like, oh shoot, he told us to bring bread. <laughs> we didn't bring any. And there's the, then someone's happen. like, oh, oh wait, look, in this crevice, in this boat, there's one loaf. And it's a little bit soggy in some areas and really hard in some other areas. I would go hungry. <laughs> <clears throat> fasting it is fasting it is does anyone yeah, know how to fish <laughs> it's an it's an odd it's an odd um passage to do a message on but the lesson seems relatively clear and that is you know if you're uh with jesus and all you have is bread you don't have to worry about having enough bread for everyone yeah yeah <laughs> Like 10 yeses. Yeah. So, um, I, uh, I'm sure that if Jesus had a conversation with me, it would be with condescending might sound critical of him speaking. And so I shouldn't say that, but probably wouldn't be, uh, man, you're just, you're just nailing it, Dave nicely done <laughs> i mean you really got it figured out <laughs> because i worry about bread all the time something as insignificant about that i'm worried about what what's going to happen next if you know as a consultant you go okay well the i could just lose my job at any time and um i've worried about that for five years <laughs> Which is a long time to worry about losing your job because a lot of people get fired. I've seen people come and go in the company, full-time employees that have been fired yeah. in stay less time than me. And whenever I'm in a meeting, I've been there. I'm in the top 10% of people who have been there the longest. Huh. So I'm like a veteran. You can't leave. So, All the plants would die. Yeah. So I think it's a good, I think it's a good thing. Um, it is confusing that the, that the disciples couldn't, couldn't, uh, you know, if you have Jesus there, I don't understand why you would be concerned about the one thing he definitely has proven he can provide. Yeah. And the but. strange thing is, is they dropped a, they dropped everything to follow him. And now that mm -hmm. they're following him and seeing him, do remarkable miracles 
that's when they're losing faith, right? Like that's when it says their their hearts are hardening, right? Like they like they don't they're just not putting the trust in him that they obviously could. Yeah, put yourself in the position of the disciples. You forgot the bread. You're nervous that Jesus is going to find or what he's going to say when he finds out that you forgot the bread. In some ways actually that's kind of an interesting that's kind of an interesting thing because a lot of times I have found that um when I'm doing my best okay um where I'm really trying to do uh live right yeah then I think oh no I've messed up now like I remember when I moved to Texas, I felt strongly that um, God led me out to Texas. Yeah, and I remember a point in time where I was thinking, "Well, this isn't working out because nothing that I thought it was going to look like was playing out the way I would have expected." And I still had an apartment in California that my my brother lived in, so I remember basically coming to terms with. Yeah, I got to go back to California because I don't have anything here. I just moved. I just drove out here, but all my stuff is still in my truck and I don't have a place to stay. I don't have a job. I don't have anything. I had friends, but that's it. And, um, you know, I really felt like when it was time for me to go back to California or when I thought I would, I felt convicted where God was like, how do you, how do you come out here and then just quit as soon as things aren't going your way? You know, and I felt, okay, I should stick it out. And then I remember praying fervently for a job for like months. And I was getting all these piecemeal, like I would get a job for a day, a job for two days or three days. And I was getting all these random work because I was desperate, but I was never getting anything steady. And um, then I remember, but all my stuff was like taken care of. I I found a great apartment with a Christian roommate. I had a whole new group of friends, a new church, you know, everything was going like gangbusters, but I had no, no security because all the money that I was making, I didn't, I was making money today, but I didn't know how I was going to make money tomorrow. And for like four or five months, actually, I was provided for that way. And of course, when you're living like that, you're also living on a very shoestring budget. Like I don't have enough money to buy any toys. I'm buy, I'm praying for my daily bread. And then I'm also praying for a steady job. So I don't have to keep praying. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I remember when I hit the wall and I was, I called up my dad and I was talking to him and I was almost on the verge of tears because I was like, you know, I've been living like this for now a long time. And I was thinking about all the times I had gone out to a restaurant and bought tacos and all the times when I had Starbucks and all the times when I spent money that I didn't have to spend. And I had basically run out of my money. I'd run out of money. I didn't have a job that was going to pay right away. And I had my rent due in like two days or something. And I was like, here, I thought I was living on faith and I was trying to live on faith, but um, 
I was so guilty for every dime that I had paid wrong. <laughs> and I knew I, so I didn't feel like it's not God's fault. I was like, God actually probably did give me the money for my rent, but I was not thinking and I was irresponsible. And so I actually felt like God is going to condemn me for this frivolous lifestyle that I've been having, you know? And then it was like, dad, my dad said that that's not how it works. And that, you know, I didn't, I needed to just pray and not be worried about it. And I didn't believe him. But the next day I went, it's like a pastor story. I went, I went got the mail the next day and my apartment from California, my brother had left and moved to Michigan and that apartment somehow, I don't even know how my brother must've given him my forwarding address, but they gave me my deposit back. Really? And the deposit from that apartment, which I had completely, I'd been in that apartment for three and a half years. I, I hadn't even thought about the deposit and I, I figured, oh, that's that thing they always end up keeping anyway. I just thought deposits were a scam. Yeah. They're just going to justify all the paint and new carpet and whatever, everything they can so they don't have to pay me back my deposit. No, they gave me back like 90% of it. Really? And it paid for, and the deposit in California, the apartment was more than what my rent was in Texas. So that deposit completely, even though it was not a full month, completely covered the rent in Texas <laughs> the very next day. And did, I mean, was it just enough or was it more than what you needed? What was it? Um, I don't remember. It was like between eight and $900. Okay. And my rent was, my rent in Texas was right around between eight and $900. So I don't remember, you know, the specific, but basically I do know that that check covered my, my rent. Yeah. It didn't cover it didn't cover it so that I had any extra, but it also didn't cover it to where there was it wasn't a hardship anymore. It was like, "Oh, well, I can just pay my rent with this then." <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea that was coming. And it was it, you know, I just thought of that that example because that's kind of like the disciples were thinking to themselves, "We should have been more responsible." Like it was our job to pack for food and we didn't do it. And now what are we going to do? We don't want to ask for a miracle. We don't want to admit it because we were, we were supposed to be packing properly and we didn't. So they're kind of stuck. They're like, well, it's like, we don't have the right to ask for, like, you don't want to admit it. I didn't feel like I had the right to ask for help with my rent or, you know, I didn't feel like I had the right because I knew that I hadn't saved every dollar I could have saved. Huh. You know, I knew there was, several times of getting getting careless and ordering tacos with friends and whatever yeah yeah and it's i mean that goes back to the mark passage right because it's god was giving you you know those 12 extra baskets right the seven extra baskets of fish and loaves it's god providing in abundance right so mm -hmm. i mean it's god can provide even though you want to go and get fish and tacos or fish tacos or whatever you're getting uh, from time to time. And, uh, you know, it's... Yeah, I've heard, I've heard um, someone said that the most wasteful person is God hmm. because, um, 
when God makes a fruit tree, what happens? Well, most of the fruit just falls on the ground and rots. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like if, if you think of an apple tree, how many of those apples actually get eaten? You know, yeah. I mean, it's just very, very, it fair. is an overabundance. Any, any, any plant you can think of the amount of seeds it creates, the amount of fruit off of a tree is way more than what one would think was required. Yeah. And uh, God seems cool with it. And then there's pastors who always say, and it'll, it'll never come early and it'll, but it'll never come late. And it'll always be and they're always like, and I opened that envelope and it was the exact dollar to the cent. It's like, well, <clears throat> that's cool because then you know who you've got to give credit to, I suppose. If it's got, if it's so specific, then it's kind of cool because it's sort of got a God's signature. Yeah. But it also can, can be a little bit like, well, what about the apple tree? He doesn't create only enough apples for everybody to have exactly what they want. <laughs> yes. Say like, no, he, the whole tree blooms with apples and that's way more than anybody can keep up with. <laughs> I've never heard that. And I really like that. It's, it's a beautiful analogy of how God works, I think. And yeah, of generosity. Yeah. And I think that on our end, we just don't utilize it. We don't, we don't invest the faith in God to allow him to do that for us. Yeah. But the problem is, I don't know how. <laughs> yeah. It's not because I don't want to have all those apples. It's because I don't know how to get them. <laughs> <laughs> They're there. <laughs> but I got, I got little Tyrannosaurus Rex arms. <laughs> I haven't figured out how to pick them yet. <laughs> well, it was a good, that was a good, um, that was a good thought provoking passage. Tell Andy, I said, great job. I will. I'll have to send you the link for the message. In, yeah. Send me the link. I'll listen to it. 